not enough hands. The reading, Psalm 49, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that wise men die, the foolish and the senseless alike perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, even though they had named lands after themselves. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Selah. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He who sure he will surely take me to himself. Selah. Do me not overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendour of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendour will not descend with him. Though while he lived he counted himself blessed, and men praise you when you prosper. He will join the generations of his fathers who will never see the light of life. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've prayed in that song, but let's just pray again and ask the Lord to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who speaks. And so we ask now, speak to each one of us, open our hearts and minds to receive your word, that we might indeed be refined, made holy, made more like the Lord Jesus. For his glory's sake we ask. Amen. Friends, I feel rather selfish as I stand up here. Uh, We have before us Psalm 49. Thank you, Margaret, for reading it uh, so clearly. Uh, It's a marvellous song, uh, and the reason uh, we're looking at it is that I know my soul needs to think about it. I know that my soul would benefit from looking at these words, and so I chose to do it. And if that's selfish, I'm sorry. Uh, Verses 5 and 6 give us a sense of what is going on here. Verse 5 reads, Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? 
those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. The psalmist is surrounded by people with fabulous wealth, but they don't worship the Lord. They're wicked. They trust in their wealth. That's their assurance. That's their confidence with their money and the things it buys them. And the psalmist is tempted to be frightened of them. We can all imagine that, can't we? Those who have the power to make things happen, those who use their money to get their way, to make life difficult for those who cross them. And he's tempted to alter his behaviour in the light of these guys, to fit their agenda. I think verse 16, where he says, don't be overawed, captures the other sense of it, don't we? We are often tempted to be overawed at those who have great riches. We see those fine houses in the magazine. We see the guy with the flashy sports car, the person with the great doctor. And we are tempted to be overawed, to try and copy them, to try and think too much of them. Well, what is really going on here is another manifestation of the age-old question, the age-old temptation, is it really better to be godly than rich? Is it really better to be godly than rich if riches cost my godliness? Jesus himself, in the parable of the sower, talks of the deceitfulness of wealth. And in my own heart, I know that deceitfulness. I know that power. I know the way that money can whisper to my heart. If only you had a little bit more of this or that, then you'd be happy. If only you had a little bit more in the bank. If only you had a little bit more in the Kiwi, then you wouldn't need to worry for the future. Well, this is a psalm I need to rub into my soul. But it's a, a psalm that actually has a universal application. The psalmist insists this is for everyone. There's not a single person in this room who doesn't need to hear this. Look how it begins. Hear this, all you people. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. Whoever you are, if you live on this earth, which I take it is all of us, whatever your station in life, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a believer or not a believer, this psalm has universal application to you. Verse 3, my mouth will speak words of wisdom, says the psalmist. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. That is to say, this is the wisdom of God. This is God's view on how the world works. That's why it's got universal application. Now, when we get into the contents of the psalm, we see that actually in many ways it's pretty somber, isn't it? There's some pretty horrendous images in here. Look at verse 14, where in our translation we have this picture of death feasting on people. It's it's gruesome, isn't it? It's somber. But notice what he says in verse 4. With the harp I will expound my riddle. And in the Psalms, the harp is an instrument of joy. I'm wondering what Ollie's doing pointing at me, but um, I'm sure there's good reason. In, in the Psalms, the harp... Goodness me. Goodness me. me. I blame Ollie for that. Whatever the power of this thing is, knocks people backwards. Be very careful, anyone else who comes up here. Ollie, I'll speak to you afterwards. Um... Um, what was I saying? The harp. The harp. The harp is an instrument of joy. And so it's a bit odd, isn't it? This is, this is full of awful images. And here he is doing this on, on an instrument of joy. 
But rightly understood, this somber psalm brings joy to the believer. If we get God's wisdom into our hearts and minds and souls, we'll live well in this world and it will give us great joy. He's going to tell us why we don't need to fear the wicked. Why we don't need to be overawed by these rich people with their glamorous lifestyles. Now, and he's going to tell us two things. He's going to tell us don't, that riches are overdone. They're overblown. They don't do what they, they, they claim to do. And then he's going to tell us, secondly, we have everything we need in Christ if we're a believer. But before we get into his wisdom, it's just worth noting, I think the church has often uh, swung between extremes when it comes to thinking about money. On the one hand, there are times when the church has an almost kind of uh, fear of money. It's something that it's pious to avoid, as if the absence of material blessing is a sign of godliness, a sign of blessedness almost. But that, I think, is a less than Christian understanding of riches, of money. Riches, money, material things are good gifts from God. And like every good gift that comes from God, they should be received with thankfulness from the hand of our loving Heavenly Father. But on the other extreme, there are those uh, who have tended to idolize money. And so come, along come the, the prosperity preachers. And they insist that if someone's truly a man or woman of God, if they're truly a man or woman of faith, then God will bless them with material prosperity. Uh, prosperity. That financial well-being is a fruit of the gospel. Now, it is true. The, the, the reason that's so difficult a, a, a lie is there's some truth in it. It is true that God promises that the believer's needs will be met. Psalm 23 says, I will lack nothing. And God will give us what we need for as long as he wants us on earth. But the problem is what we need and what the world tells us we need and what we think we need can so often be out of kilter, can't it? Well, we mustn't idolize wealth, but more, nor must we despise it. Because like everything else in life, money, riches, material things are gifts from God. And as gifts from God, they should be a cause for thanksgiving and used to glorify him. If you are rich, that is to say, if you have more than you need, God has given it to you so that you might be thankful and then use it to glorify him, to help advance his kingdom. And just as others are blessed with different gifts, praise God if God has blessed you with that gift of glorifying him, advancing his kingdom with your wealth. But the problem, so the problem here isn't that these people are wealthy per se, that they're rich per se. It's rather that their wealth puffs them up. They put their trust in it. And the danger for us is that money skews our perspective. Either we become overawed with those who have it and we seek to be like them, or we become fearful of them and we bend to their will. Or if we ourselves receive it, as it says in 18, and people comment on our prosperity, we begin to think we've somehow arrived and we put our trust in it rather than in the Lord God. It's so easy to do, isn't it? Give us today our daily bread. And yet we long for so much more. And that in some way is why when we have less, we are forced to trust him more because we don't know what will happen. We have to cry out to him. Well, the psalmist gives us two points of view to help us view riches well it's always good to look for repeated words. And you may have noticed, as the psalm was read, that in, in verse 12 and verse 20, 
the repeated refrain, the beasts that perish come. And there are two answers, uh, two explanations of why he doesn't fear. The first is 7 to 12. The next is 13 to the end. Both end with beasts that perish. And the first thing is this. Riches are overblown. Riches are overdone. Because no amount of money can buy someone from death. Riches overpromise. Because death will come. Whether you're rich or poor, death will visit your house. So don't be overawed by rich people or their riches. It's certainly true that people's riches may buy them a good doctor. They may be able to prolong their life with some kind of experimental treatment. But look at verse 7. No man or woman can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him or herself. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Do you see, human life is so valuable, so gloriously valuable because it's made in the image of God. And yet we are so deeply in debt because of sin that we will certainly die. We read in Romans, don't we? The wages of sin is death. That all of us, as we turned away from God, as we went our own way, deciding that we would determine how we would live our lives, have forfeited life itself. We've sinned and the wages of sin are death. We all stand under a death sentence. And justice must be done. Justice will be done. In Israel at the time that the psalmist wrote, bribery was common. If somebody did something wrong, they could avoid justice by a quick bribe. If they wanted a decision to go their way, then just grease the palm of some official and you get what you want. Everyone has a price. But the problem is, the price of a human life, the price of your soul, the price of my soul made in the image of God is too great. Even the most fabulously wealthy person can never dream of ransoming their soul from death. So we will all die and we will all taste decay. Riches over promise. We see the result clearly in verse 10. For all can see. Everyone knows, all around the world, there's not a person who doesn't know this, that wise men die, and the foolish and the senseless alike perish. All die. And when that happens, people leave their wealths to other. And you see the point? Impressive as it is, ultimately it's useless. So don't idolize it, because it will be lost, given to somebody else forever. The emperor, excuse me, <clears throat> the emperor Franz Joseph of Austria died in 1916. At his funeral, there was an enormous procession with dignitaries in their, in their coats and finery following his casket. Military bands played and, and flags were at half mast. And when the procession arrived at the Capuchin Church, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, but whatever this church is called, uh, the leading officer knocked on the door. And the cardinal behind this great big iron door said, who goes there? And the lead officer replied, we bear the remains of his imperial and apostolic majesty, Franz Joseph I, by the grace of God, emperor of Austria, apostolic king of Hungary, king of Bohemia, archduke of Austria, grand duke of Tuscany, lord of Trieste, and so on and on, on it went. When the guy finally finished, the cardinal replied, we know him not. Then the officer knocked again. 
Once again, the cardinal replied, who goes there? This time the man, slightly chastened, replied with a less ostentatious title, Franz Joseph I, by the grace of God, Emperor of Austria. Again, tartly, the cardinal says, we know him not. Who goes there? This time the officer simply said, we bear the body of Franz Joseph, our brother, a sinner like all the rest. And the door opened. It's a fascinating ritual. It's been going on apparently for hundreds of years. But it makes the point, even the most fabulously wealthy and powerful emperor in death is humbled, equal with everyone else. We see verse 11, his tomb, their tombs, will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they name lands after themselves. However fabulous somebody's Fendleton address, there will be a day they exchange it for the local graveyard. And so he comes to his punchline. Verse 12, but man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. Now, there are so many ways we're not like beasts. Our world tries to say we're just beasts. And Christians, if I may say this, sometimes elevate beasts to the level of humans. Beasts and humans are different. We are made in the image of God. They are not. We have technology and culture. They do not. We have all kinds of ways of pushing back the boundaries of death and sickness. And yet, despite all of that, all of those privileges, we will perish in the same way as they. Our end will be the same as a dog or a rat or a fly. And you see what he's trying to say? These riches are overdone. The things we find so impressive in the big scheme of things cannot for a second alter the course of eternity. And so he asks, why are we so impressed? Why are we so influenced by them? According to the Guinness Book of Records, Blackie the cat is the richest animal in the world. When her owner, Ben Ray, died, he left her about $14 million. Friends, that's more money than most of us will ever see in our lives. But I don't know about you, but I am not for a moment envious of Blackie. Blackie's a cat. But imagine if my neighbor or your neighbor won $14 million in the lotto or, or they had some great windfall. I imagine I'd have a range of emotions. I imagine one of them would be envy. But the psalmist would say, why? Because when all is said and done, unless that person is a believer, they are no different to Blackie the cat. All die, and in death, all are equal. Riches are overblown. Because riches cannot buy our way out of death. Well, he doesn't stop there, though, does he? And in fact, if he did stop there, we might say, well, okay, well, if all we'll die, let's enjoy a cushy life before we do. But he goes on to the second explanation, verses 13 to the end. If I have Christ, I have everything I need. Because although all by nature die by grace, God will redeem the person in Christ. If I'm in Christ, I have everything I need. That's the point he's going to make in this section. But actually, before he gets into it, he, he seems to carry on, doesn't he, in the same vein. He makes it almost more intense, what he's already said. Verse 13, to perish like a beast is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve of their sayings. That is to say, the self-made man worships his creator and finds in the hour of his need that his creator cannot help him. Because verse 14, like sheep, 
They are destined for the grave, and death will feed on them. As it's translated, it's a terrible image, isn't it? Death, waiting for these human sheep to come, that death might eat them, that it might gorge its unquenchable hunger. I think that's a valid translation. I think a better one, though, is not death feeding, but death shepherding. That those who trust in themselves, those who've turned from God and have confidence in their riches, have found death to be their shepherd. And friends, in the sweep of the Bible, that's a horrifying contrast, isn't it? Because our shepherd should be the Lord God. The shepherd of the believer is the Lord. And these people who've forsaken their Lord find no longer is God their shepherd, but the grim reaper shepherds them. Though their lives may seem picture perfect, what has been airbrushed out is the shadow of death that hangs over everything. But you see here also we get the beginning of hope for the believer. We read in the middle of verse 14, the upright will rule over them in the morning. Friends, it reminds us, doesn't it? There is a time coming when a new day will dawn, the sun will rise, and then, unlike now in this topsy-turvy world where the rich can push people out the way and prosper without God, in that new morning it is the upright. It is those who place their trust in Christ who will rule. And then we have this marvellous contrast of verse 15. Though by nature all die, though no man or woman can redeem their life, But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Aren't they marvelous words? Surely that is why he sings this on the harp. Because understood rightly, here is the great joy. The time in which the prosperous, wicked, prosper is but for a moment, and then they will be gone. But those who are known by God, they will be redeemed. Our final resting place if we are in Christ is not the tomb because God will take him to ourselves take us to himself where we will dwell with him forever in eternal joy now friends the psalmist knew this knew this dimly didn't he he knew this hope he knew that somehow God would do this but he had no idea how but we this side of the cross see this in full technicolor glory We know that though all the riches of the earth are not enough to redeem the life of but one man, redemption is possible because that incalculable price was paid by the incalculably precious blood of the Son of God made man. We know the glorious story, don't we? That God entered into his creation, that God's Son took to himself a human nature, living obediently, trusting his Father, And the one person who could have trusted himself. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, the one man who could have trusted himself. Who could have had kingdoms and power by his cleverness. And yet he refused. He entrusted himself to his father. And so the one man who didn't need to pay the wages of sin. And yet this sinless man was willing to lay down his life as a ransom for many. He allowed death to shepherd him like a sheep to the slaughter shepherd him to the cross and that cross became the altar where the eternal precious life of the son of god was offered to redeem and buy back those who place their trust in him if we have christ we have everything and for the one who trusts in christ death is not their shepherd but the lord god himself 
who promises that he will be with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And though we walk through that dark valley, he will bring us to himself that we might dwell with him in eternal security, surrounded by the riches and glory of heaven. For the one who trusts in Christ is not mortal like a beast, but an immortal son or daughter of God. If we have Christ, we have everything we need. And so in verse 16, the psalmist concludes with that marvelous perspective in mind. Verse 16, don't be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Just as you do not envy Blackie the cat, do not envy the rich man or woman whose life of luxury is just a transitory moment compared to the weight of glory though while he lived he counted himself blessed and men praised us too when we prosper he or she will join the generation of their fathers who will never see the light of life and so ends this section and this psalm echoing verse 12 look at both verse 12 but man despite his riches am i gone no great But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. And then see the monumental change in verse 20. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. And friends, do you see more precious than riches is understanding? Because the ultimate question is, do you know Jesus Christ? Are you known by him? Because if you have Christ, whether you have riches or not, you have everything. You will not perish, but live eternally with God. But if you do not have Christ, you may be the richest man or woman in this room. You may be the richest man or woman in the land. But ultimately you have nothing. So make sure you have wisdom. Grasp understanding. Lay hold of Christ. That's the invitation this morning. As the psalmist summons all people to himself, he invites them to lay hold of Christ by faith. And friends, if we've done that, we need to lay, we need to sing this song. We need to rub these truths into our soul that we would see the world aright, that we would not be fearful of the rich, that we would not be overawed by the prosperous. That when riches and prosperity come to us, we would not be puffed up, but would be thankful, using them for his glory. Because riches are overdone. They will never buy someone from death. But in Christ, who gave his life as a ransom, the Christian has everything. I wonder what you have. I wonder what you have. Let me pray. Father, we long that you would teach us to see the world aright. Forgive us when we are tempted and overawed by things that sparkle, things that flash, things that seem so wonderful and yet are so transitory. Help us with the eyes of faith to see what is true riches and true glory, to behold and rejoice in the glory we have in Christ Jesus. He who is rich, who became poor, 
that we might become rich. In his name we pray. Amen.